0: And one day when we were uh, talking, he was like 20 years my senior. I said to him, "When one of us dies, we should come back and let the other one know that there is a life after death." And I, of course, I, I had, I was hedging my bets. I was like 10 years old, you know. He was gonna croak first, but he said, "Yeah, let's do that." And and uh, he used to stay at my parents' house many many weeks in a row, months. And he died, he died, um, uh, and then I, I got his room, and I was watching something on TV, a variety show, and I was doing my homework, and, you know, laying on my belly in the bed, and uh, all of a sudden I heard this, <sighs> this really deep sigh, really deep sigh, and really, really sad, like a tremolo. <sighs> and, and I thought, what the hell was that? And and uh, I turned off the TV, and I waited, and I heard it again. You know, and it was a really deep sigh. That's why in Devil's Wagon the ghost is called the one who sighs.
1: No, be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear, except God.
0: Do I look like
2: someone who cares what God thinks? You're listening to The Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 79th episode of the Fear of God podcast, yours, mine, that other guy reads absolutely favorite podcast discussing things faithful, things fearful that happen to be hosted by guys named Reed and Nathan. Um, I can't think of a better one that fits those qualifications than this one. Um, I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, typically with me is longtime chum, Reed Lackey. Strangely, he said something about just, I I don't know if he had a long day at work or something, but he needed to go take a shower that he was going to check in with us in a little bit. And I was like, Reed, I mean, that's fine, man, but don't forget your soap has to last you all year. You know, it is, it is desperate times these days and you just... You just never know, and he was like, "Cause Reed's a sudsy fella. He just likes to use all. The, he likes to use all this." Thing. Before I get too much further down a really bad path, Reed, you're, you're back, ridiculous. and you've got. You're
2: know, you so ridiculous. <laughs> of Am all I? the adjectives, I think you've called me in our friendship. I think this is the first for sudsy. <laughs> <'Cause> I'm a, <laughs> Won't I'm a be the sudsy last. fella.
1: Anyway, well, yeah, you know, Sudsy once, Sudsy twice, <laughs> Sudsy three times. What you gonna do? So we are back. Read. It is episode seventy-nine. I cannot like, believe that. And yeah. technically, it's like eighty-two if you count the quarterly kings, right?
2: That's true. Well, the quarterly kings, and then we've had a couple of bonus ones here and there. So yeah, there's definitely been more than seventy-nine actual episodes. But in terms of like the actual, we'll just we'll
1: just, we'll just call it a
2: hundred. Well, we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> let's, not get, let's not get ahead of ourselves. There's a whole twenty every 20 bonus. <laughs> like you know, like if we get around ninety four or something, I'll be like maybe, but no, no, no. Like you know, we're 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 getting close, getting close. Um, so
1: we we had a, we had a good conversation last week. About yes. the orphanage, and you—you you taught your kid how to play knock on the wall. I did not. Um, I did not. You know, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point with the size of my brood where we can play a full game of knock on the wall with the number of people that are
2: un- under my roof. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, but why would you ever? Because that's just setting yourself up for terror. That's just setting yourself up for, for scary,
1: scary nights. It would be much like the night you had when your child walked in as you're watching the orphanage. Dear Lord, um, listen to the episode; you'll hear be- that you'll hey, hear that lovely story. It's 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 better than Kevin walking in on his mom and dad. Oh so my gosh, you will not um, let that go. We are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know the thought of kids walking in on things that made me think of that. Sure, sure, stuff. sure. Um, so we are full bore now. Last week was kind of a prologue, kind of an epilogue. We just like labels. Um, this is the first full episode uh, of hashtag del toro 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 and we are going to be discussing the devil's backbone but before Mm. before the devil and his backbone have their day I just I just gotta know read what you are Tim oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) what you reading please stop (laughs) What you listening to? Ooh, that's my Bob Dylan.
2: <laughs> see, see, see. <laughs> See, see, here's here's what I knew. I knew I was like the moment the moment that it was out of your mouth, I was like, "This is not a reference to Devil's Backbone. This is not nope. this is not a reference nope. to anything. This is this is your absolutely absurd impression <laughs> of Mister of Mister Dylan." I yeah, I was like, "Oh." To no. To be fair, I
1: didn't know it was going to happen until it was happening. So okay, all know. right,
2: all right. Well, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Um, right. So yeah, I'll go first um, because I'm very very super excited that I finally got. Gotten to dive into this um as listeners know by now and anybody who's been friends with me for longer than two minutes i am a tremendous star trek nut i'm a huge star trek fan and i've always watched the shows like you know as they've as they've come out and for me it was it was a bit of uh, you know a bit conflicted because the new star trek show is only available through cbs all access which is a service you kind of have to pay for and and you know while you know i don't mind Paying my money down for the for the appropriate content it 's difficult to justify that when there 's only that one show that you 're interested in you know but uh, my good friend friend of the show actually anthony doris uh, who 's been on the show and who I occasionally buddy around with, he also is a avid Star Trek fan uh, and he has cBS all access, so I have now dove into the new Star Trek Discovery, and I can report that it is wonderful. I'm only a few episodes yeah. in, but it is fantastic. And it's easily the most cinematic of all of the Star Trek TV shows so far. Like, I, we commented probably several times throughout the course of the episodes, like, I wish we could see this on a really big screen, because it's just so gorgeously shot. Um, it, it's got some incredible special effects. The, the narrative is very complex and pretty pretty dark for a star trek show surprisingly dark um but uh, but yeah it's very 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 strong so far again i'm excited to finish out the season i haven't finished out the season uh where i am right now with it but i love it love what i've seen so far
1: as someone who has very limited knowledge is the wrong word though maybe maybe not um exposure to the trek verse uh, where does this series fall in terms of the timeline of the of the world,
2: it is a hundred years before the original series, Whoa. which may, which makes it later than Starship or Star Trek Enterprise, the last network TV show that aired. That took place about three or four hundred years before the original series. This really? one takes place only yeah, mm-hmm. and this one takes place only a hundred years before the original series.
1: So, Enterprise, the series, mm-hmm. is there a ship called the Enterprise in it? Uh, yes. But it's 300 ish years previous to Kirk.
2: Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: Interesting. That's
2: yeah, gross. so, so like, yeah, so it's getting, getting a little nerdvana here, but yes, like, so, so Enterprise. What did th- you say? the
1: ship. Nerdvana. What word did you. Uh, okay. Go, go right ahead.
2: Nerd, nerd. Have you never, have you really never heard that term? I'm not,
1: I'm not sure I have. I, I really don't nerd. traffic in these things. I'm not, I don't really, and, I'm not, I don't. You you geeks and your
2: stuff like I don't really in the geek geeky colloquialisms, um, <laughs> yeah. So so the uh, so the ship that they are on is not uh, is not the the actual Enterprise, but the reason that the show is called that is because there it's kind of the launch of all of these. things that we've come to consider you know like like that what made that show very appealing is that you got to see the beginning of things that by the time you reach original series which of course was 50 years ago um certain things were commonplace by that point but you get to see how they came about and what sort of was what sort of prompted like tribbles. uh i cannot recall i do not think there are any tribbles (laughs) in enterprise but yes yes there's that all right there was a triple in discovery it sort of like, really? can you miss it? But it was there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was.
1: It was like the proto Tribble. It was like the yes. prequel yes. Tribble. We'll,
2: we'll call it that. The proto Tribble. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, you uh, clearly are rather nerdy about that. I, 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 for me, I just I am not wrapped up in anything like that. I will say. Um, just as a purely like upstanding non-nerd sort of what you're watching, what you're reading, I have been pouring over the Last Jedi behind the scenes material.
2: <laughs> oh. So we're about to have another one of
1: those. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. We're really not. I was just making the I was, the long game there was the attempt to say, Reed, you're such a nerd <laughs> for loving Star Trek. Meanwhile, I'm like, it's not even that I loved the Star Wars The Last Jedi. It was that, dude, I'm all in on the back <laughs> behind-the-scenes material on The Last I've Jedi watching,
2: Digital I've been Edition. watching that... Uh, that that slideshow of all the artwork and I'm just cracking <laughs> up. The four oh hour gosh. slideshow of the art I can't
1: believe the fourth year's escape was actually five minutes longer. No, really it was. Um, <laughs> wow. But it was? Really? Uh, yeah, that is one of the few things. So actually what's fascinating, I'm really going to only spend like two minutes here. So uh, the three primary elements are, one is called Beyond the Force or Balance to the Force. Mm-hmm. And it's... Johnson talking about some of the um, choices he made kind of to to display the Force in The Last Jedi, and it's really lovely and really awesome. Um, mm-hmm. the, the second piece is there are a bunch of deleted scenes. Um, fascinatingly, there is a lot. I can't remember every thought you had about The Last Jedi. I did write them all down and have them somewhere. But... Um, I'm just kidding. I really didn't. But um, the the uh, one of the criticisms that I would give credence to before um, the haters sunk their teeth into that movie was just a little bit of shriftness as far as Finn goes, the character of Finn.
2: Mm, sure. right, Dude,
1: there's a lot of Finn stuff that got left on the table that actually is really great and really fleshes out the arc of that character in that movie in a way that I'm kind of like... Only from a runtime standpoint do I get leaving them out. Like Okay, all right. From a pure story standpoint, they're fantastic and worth your checking out. Uh, lastly, there's a feature-length special called The Director and the Jedi um, that's like, just as you'd imagine, oh. it's like a documentary about... The making of the film that I'm about two thirds right, of the way right. through. So anyway, yeah, I've been watching The Last Jedi behind-the-scenes material, yo. You can have your Star Trek Discovery, well, nerd.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my god! I'm gosh. just kidding. Hate. Well, that is the great debate. That's the great debate is Star Wars versus Star Trek. So yeah. now everybody knows where we Right, lie. I guess so, so. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Although, well, I was gonna say I do like the Abrams Treks, but a lot of Trekkies don't consider those like, you know, legit. If you will, <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I know. I know the you track. would. Bring uh, yes, all the yes. <laughs> um Why don't you? T- since you so you know uh, bespoiled and decried my uh, intro to our segment here, why don't you take it out, Mister <laughs> Dylan Aficionado? Okay. All right. What you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening
2: to? was good. And not not to be left out. Um What you What you What you What Listeners have already turned us off. They're, they're, they're done. They're done with this. They're, they're done with this nonsense, this they singing to. They did to when these I called songs. you
1: sudsy, and they got worried about the content of this episode. Um, <laughs> Alright, so that was that. And now this is this. We are yes. today discussing I want to call I want to say like El Diablo, but I don't know backbone in Spanish, so it would just be like El Diablo, backbono, you know, but that's <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, bu- I believe it's uh El Espinazo del Diablo. I okay. believe that is what it is. Oh. Uh which is funny because I think it's 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 literally translated as the devil's backbone, I believe, but it looks on the page like the spine of the devil, which which sounds like Ooh, more chilling. It does sound you know, chilling. like yeah, the spine of the devil, like like yeah, yeah. So but uh El Espinazo del Diablo. So, yes, the devil's backbone. This was the um third uh feature film by guillermo del toro the third? and um what were the, it was the other, third yeah what were the previous two so the the first one was a film called chronos which was his his debut feature um which honestly were our series going longer that would be the next entry that we would probably cover i think it's a very interesting film it's very early for him uh but there's a lot of fascinating things uh in it um it's kind of a kind of a vampire story um that's very reductive to the plot there's a lot more to it than that but but you know think sort of along the lines of vampires that's the kind of story that you're in for Um uh, but then his second film was mimic and um have you ever seen mimic? uh no i actually i never have seen mimic do you like it i i do like it i'm a bit of a defender for it but i understand who's in it the biggest I'm name I'm trying to recall
1: if I know anything about it.
2: Yeah, the the biggest name in the names in it would be probably Mira Sorvino who yeah, who okay. stars it. She yeah, and uh Charles Dutton is in it. Um but uh but yeah, I mean I like that film a lot. Um it it gets sort of middling reviews when people reflect on it and talk about it. Um and it received very mediocre reception uh, at the time that it was released to the degree that del toro was quite discouraged as a filmmaker like his, his he was feeling like man i'm all, I'm just going to get stuck in this sort of rut i'm not going to get to tell the stories that i'm going to get to tell um it, you can hear him talk he says frequently in fact i may uh listeners will know if i did or not i may open with this clip where he he says in interviews and stuff that three of his films saved his life um and he means different things by sure. them but he says Devil's Backbone did, Pan's Labyrinth did, and The Shape of Water did. Um, what I know of what he's specifically referring to with Devil's Backbone is that he was feeling, after the sort of the mediocre response to Mimic, um, he was feeling very sort of uh, atrophied as a filmmaker and was kind of in a bit of despair, wondering if he was ever going to get to to sort of fully be the filmmaker that he wanted to be and believed he could be. Um, and then uh, Pedro Almodovar, uh, I'm hoping I'm saying his name correctly, uh, is, was a producer who had seen Kronos and liked Kronos a lot and had reached out to Guillermo del Toro specifically and said, I want to produce your next film. And uh, and so that didn't quite pan out until a couple of years later, but that's when Guillermo del Toro went back to him to to try to get Devil's Backbone off the ground and the rest is history. Um, so yeah, Devil's Backbone was his was his third feature and he has alluded to, that it might be his favorite. He doesn't go, I mean, understandably so, he doesn't, like, flat out say, like some filmmakers would, this is my favorite film, Um, But and like some filmmakers have, but he does say, when talking about Devil's Backbone, he says, um, sometimes I like it more than Pan's Labyrinth. I never like it less than Pan's Labyrinth. So, basically, implying, like, Devil's Backbone. Is
1: Pan's Labyrinth the follow-up?
2: No, no. After that, he did... Uh, both of the Hellboys and Blade two before getting oh. to pan 's labyrinth yeah um so there was quite a bit of time in between those in between those two uh but devil 's backbone very much sort of you know uh, reinvigorated him. He probably would not uh i, I don 't know because I actually think he had signed on already to do Hellboy at the time that he was finishing devil 's backbone, so it wasn 't necessarily the reception and response to this film, but devil 's backbone reinvigorated him as a filmmaker sure um. So uh and, and and I think it's I think it's very very good but you, this was your first time seeing it right you never it was. seen it before
1: What do what do you
2: think in general about it
1: I liked it um I I did not uh, I was about to say I did not love it but that sounds like you know negative I don't mean to sound negative I I enjoyed it I think that I'm anxious to see sort of some of your thoughts to to maybe bolster some of what I had just inklings of um, okay sure there were there were things about it i really enjoyed i loved the tone i love the sense of place and time um yeah i love kind of what the story i texted you i don't know if you remember this this is probably in the last it's when the kids um are attacking jacinto or I think that's how you say it. Oh yes,
2: Jacinto. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I was like, "This is so dark," and not in a bad yeah, dismissive way, but just yeah. in like, "Oh my goodness, this is rough." Um, yeah, very heavy film in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, I, some of it sort of, some of the elements of it are a little odd, and I, I didn't totally know what to do with like her being an amputee per se, uh, Jacinto hmm. being her lover, like some of those things that are just kind of like, okay, those are kind of odd. Uh, unique choices um, but overall sure, sure. I like a lot of what it is doing it, it is not I would not rank it for me personally now hear me that's a very hot take that's like watched it one time trying to process sort of approach I don't know right, right. It's, it's very possible that I would watch it again with a a learned eye and, and have a sure, better sure. Deeper, appreci- a deeper appreciation for it I just I don't know my first is a bit more
2: that's, it was good kind of feeling. I, I i don't yeah, I don't disagree with that. I wouldn't kick I wouldn't kick against that at all because I think that was kind of my first uh response to it is I you know, I had heard a lot of really positive things about it when I first checked it out. At the time that I had seen it, I had already seen uh my first viewing of it was following a viewing of both Hellboy and Blade Two. So I kind of came to it uh later than a lot of other people did. And being hailed as like, oh man, if you like Guillermo del Toro, yeah, you got to see the devil's yeah. backbone, you know. And and so I think it might in an initial viewing might have been a bit overhyped for me. I appreciated it significantly more this time around, so maybe that would be a similar experience for you, but but again I don't know. I think one of the things that really stands out to me about Del Toro as a filmmaker is and this is going to be more substantiated by perhaps some later entries in this series that we're doing, but the man makes films with more overt compassion than almost any other Filmmaker I can tell today and that may that may sound like initially a, sort of an odd Sentiment to express but I'll I'll substantiate it He has sympathy for his heroes. He has sympathy for his villains. He has sympathy for his victims He has sympathy for the innocent bystander the collateral damage like there is just so much sort of emotion embedded into every single character that he crafts that even like Jacinto like there is still this it's not that the film justifies his actions, but it's almost as if the film validates his like why he's doing what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This this sort of prince without a kingdom kind of idea and yeah. and and constantly chasing this sort of like his legacy even though he does I'm uh, I'm using this word in context and contrast to the other words I used. He does some almost irredeemable things. Right. And, and right. that is that is not to be dismissed, but there is still this sense of compassion that it exudes off of del toro's films and that's something that i feel like i was always subconsciously responding to that i'm a bit more actively aware of now that i've seen you know all of his catalog most of his catalog a couple of times i will
1: say, um, i will say if i can jump in um sure uh, yeah t- two thoughts one uh neutral one positive to your point <laughs> excuse me i don't know if you heard the <laughs> sort of real organic surprise i expressed when you said this was his third film I think that having seen Pan's Labyrinth, having seen the Hellboys, so I haven't seen Blade. But, of course, having seen Shape of Water now, like, yeah. there's there's a way the fantastic elements in Devil's Backbone don't really, like, they don't translate great, you know, in terms of just the visual mm. component of, of Santi. Like, I think it's just okay. Um, oh, interesting. That feels okay. a little that feels a little cruder to me than I was planning for mentally. And so that's why I was like, wow, that's his third film. It felt like an early sort of entry, um, by the same token. And, uh, uh, the, the sort of positive thing I wanted to come back to was invalidating what you're saying in the, in the context of Jacinto, even things like Jamie or or Jaime or however we say his name, um, who in any other film, Possibly at the hands of a less sort of, in your word, compassionate storyteller. He's going to be just kind of the thorn in the side of, of Carlos the whole right, time. Right, and right. And I will say something that's really, that surprised me about the movie in a positive way is it kept turning new corners that I was not really like okay yeah, planning yeah. for. You know, it's just just narratively, I was like, oh, well, this is a lot more... Rope because it starts with just these guys leaving Carlos down there. Like that's
2: right. Well, I mean, yes. you have
1: the you have the kind of prologue element with um, Santi's death, but um, in terms of the the what you think is the primary driving narrative when they leave Carlos, mm-hmm. the the corners just keep getting turned. Like, okay, I really don't right. know where this movie is going. So that's that's always right right positive to me. Um,
2: sure. If done, sure, if done
1: rightly, you know.
2: Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. There's a there's a mystery to be unpacked in this film, but the film does not immediately sort of prop you up to to get the mystery that you're that you're getting. Like, in other words, uh, there are films that sort of lead with, ooh, isn't this mysterious and weird? And we don't know what happens. This is a kind of film that you almost don't realize until it introduces these new elements that it's like, oh, yeah, I didn't even realize that that was, uh, like, in other words, there's no reason for you to suspect that uh, Jacinto is directly connected to Santi's death. There's no real right, reason right, in your right. in your initial, because you're almost thinking, when you're hearing the opening narration, you're almost wondering, like, how far back is this flashback going? You know, like, how the the thing that it's showing you is it's showing, you know, one of the early images, I can't remember if it's the very first image, uh, but it's one of the early ones, if it's not the very first one, is that, you know, the, the hatch opening in the airplane and the bomb... Falling down, right, right, and and um and so you wonder, like, okay, well, how far how far back are we going in this story, or how far back to the tendrils go? And it's actually not that long. Like the entire, like everything you see in the film, probably takes place within within maybe about a year, if if even that long. Like it's it's a pretty truncated story. Yeah, I would have said a lot less than that, but maybe I'm forgetting. Yeah, it, no, no, no. It yeah. it might be it might be just a mere matter of of weeks or months or something like that. But yeah, it's a very s- specific, uh, shortened amount of time with tendrils that eke out into you know the the broader scope of what's going on in the nation with the war, with right. the civil war, and um and everything. And so, yeah, uh, we can get into we can get into if you want to just some a uh, few specific notes about the film. You mentioned a second ago that the that the Ghost design for you was was merely okay. I didn't register very much. Here's what here was what my impression was the very first time around I saw the film is I was like, the ghost looks creepy. The ghost looks freaky, but there's not like a lot of him. And so I was like, because there wasn't, in my sort of very limited exposure to the film, uh, the first time I saw it, I was very much like, oh, that ghost wasn't in it very much. That was that was kind of interesting. But this time around, specifically, and I think this was only the second time I saw it, uh, this time around, I was very attuned to what I will call the unique qualities of the look of the ghost. Like, when I was looking at him, he very much, there's two things I'll point out. First of all, he very much looks like a like a doll he looks it looks like and i didn't register that the first time like he looks like a like a porcelain doll right um which i which i found interesting it wasn't just the you know the the affectation of like the cracks on his head where he was wounded initially that may just seem like a sort of a a visual flair, but i was looking and i was like wow that's that's very deliberately he looks like a like a broken doll like a like a broken sort of porcelain doll but then of course because this character uh the the character that is the ghost santi that we keep referencing is killed by a blow to the head but then thrown into this little pool that's in the basement of this this orphanage this uh, you know boarding school as it were the blood that would have eked out from his head is like flowing upwards in the water right, so right. as a ghost he's walking around he's walking around and that that trickle that flow of blood is still sort of eking up from his head which uh, I don't know that I really registered the first time through but this time around I was like wow that is that is pretty cool I, th- I thought that was pretty cool just sure. a little sort of touch but I but I will say One of the things that immediately drew me in, and it did not the first time through, one of the things that immediately drew me in this time, because when you see it for the first time, you do not realize. uh, Huge spoiler alert, everybody. uh, If you want to see this film beforehand, I'm about to spoil the ending of the film. You don't realize that the person telling you the story is a ghost. Right. And so, because. You don't realize that until like sort of the final moments of the film that like, oh, yeah, a ghost is telling you the story. The the opening lines of like, what is a ghost that really connected with me more the second time through because I'm like, oh, a ghost is telling you this. So right. it made, it, made it, it sort of reframed the whole piece that I'm like, oh, OK. And that's going to well, when we, you know, dive more whole cloth into what I got out of it thematically that that really substantiated my feelings on the film of just like, Oh yeah, that's in large part. What I walked away with is this exploration of, of what, what is a ghost? Do you, you know, have like, hey real quick? Do you have go, that text in front of you? I do. Yeah. So, so I have the version of it. That's at the beginning and I have the version of it. That's, that's at the end. Uh, well, they're, they're similar. Yeah. It's it's only different by one line. So I'll read it. It says, what is a ghost, a tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and again, An instant of pain, perhaps. Something dead, which still seems to be alive. An emotion suspended in time. God, I love that line. An emotion suspended in time, like a blurred photograph, or like an insect trapped in amber. Uh, Very poetic language. None, None of which, except for this something dead, which still seems to be alive, directly related to you know, a phantasm of a, you know, of a human. It's like they're talking about this. Well, but I think
1: what one of the things that I found so fascinating and I, um, I did pick up on this when it repeats at the end of the film, both literally and metaphorically, what I found really great about that bit of scripting is while the movie is ostensibly a traditional ghost story, all of those definitions have some sort of reverberation in the film. You know, like yes,
2: absolutely. You know, yes. an an
1: emotion suspended. What was it uh, suspended in time or something? You know, I think about an emotion suspended in time. You know, I think of Carlos's um, uh, uh, when he gets abandoned by the 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 folks there, like yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Even even your amber, uh, an insect caught in amber. <clears throat> that's probably the least, or at least theoretically, the least sort of relevant one. But it, think about the bomb. It is. It is yes, static. It, exactly. is, it, is, yes. it is. It is. It is. It is a dud, as it were. But right. It, su- right, it suits that sort of language, if that makes sense at all. You know. Oh, so, oh so I just. Totally, I, I'm with you. I, I really liked that. You know, he is aiming for more than just a quote unquote traditional ghost story, and 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 more no. or less achieves that. I would think.
2: Oh uh, no! I totally agree. I'm going to ask you a question yeah. uh, that that uh, is going to probably seem a bit random or a bit odd. So uh, when I watched the film, uh, I watched it on uh, the the horror service Shutter, um, and the the captions for the film translated the very last line of the film, where after it goes through that whole paragraph again, it says, "That's what I am." Uh-huh. And uh, was that the same? If you can recall, was that the same sort of final way that I think the last so. line was yeah. phrased? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, as I'm looking at uh, listeners just happening in real time peek behind the curtain, I like this so much more. And this speaks to sort of the disconnect of Spanish and translation is um, so the this uh, text that I'm reading on IMDb translate that last line, not as that's what I am, but a ghost is me. And, and I, I find that yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of, sort of more haunting about it. It's like, cause he's having these exploration of, of what is a ghost? What are all these things? Is like, well, well, a ghost is me, you know, like that, like this sort of personal identification for it, which yes, in all practicality, that's what I am is saying the same thing, but right. in, yeah, yeah. in my opinion, sort of less poetic language, but th- that to me was really do you want to do you want to wanna,
1: do you wanna real quick before we dive too far down? Can you can you briefly summarize this? Uh, the the one reason I say that is yeah, sure, sure. Context of who is talking is a little lost if you don't really know what's happening in the movie.
2: That makes sense. Yeah, sure. So so as briefly as I can, um, this film takes place during the Spanish Civil War, um, and you are shown in the very opening scenes, you're showing uh, some bombers driving overhead, and a bomb drops into this uh, the, into the sort of court square, the courtyard of uh, this. It's not an orphanage. Uh, it's, it's more like sort of like a boarding school, as it were. Uh, but it is a place where soldiers have come to sort of drop off destitute children while they go. Go and, and right. fight in the war and, and, and people who have now you know, become fatherless or become motherless because their uh, family was killed in the war are, are taken to this place. So there's a collection of these boys and we meet a boy named Carlos who's brought and dropped off here uh, in the very opening uh, moments of the film. And then as he's there, he's trying to fit in with the rest of the boys. Uh, there's this uh, boy, Jaime, who is a, uh, a bully. One of the sort of workers slash caretakers on the film that we keep referencing is Jacinto, um, who ultimately is revealed to be the villain of the piece. And there is um, a, a pair of people. A They are not a couple, but you get the inclination that he is. He's the uh, the doctor into this boarding school and then uh the woman who sort of runs the place is the woman that you referenced earlier that has a sort of the maimed leg she's only got one leg and uh the person who is telling this story is that doctor right. uh, but you don't realize until the end what happens is there is this gold that has been given to them, sort of for safekeeping. But this Jacinto, who is on the grounds, knows about the gold, and you get the impression—oh uh, no, it's not the impression; it's actually stated—that he grew up in this place, yes, that he yes. that he lived here, went away, and then came back. But he came back not under, kind of under the guise of, "I want to help, I want to build things, I want to repair things, I want to help out." When really he's searching for this gold, he's searching for this missing gold. And then uh, uh you come to find out that there's also like a ghost on the premises that I keep referencing. But uh, this ghost named Santi that we don't really know uh, exactly why he's there or what exactly happened yet. Um And so as the as the narrative plays out, Jacinto gets closer and closer to the gold. Eventually, uh, it is basically revealed that somebody is going to come and going to the soldiers are going to arrive and they're going to decimate this place and they'll have nowhere to live so that they the doctor sort of makes a decision we need to get all the kids out of here we need to actually make them leave and uh and we need to get them to safety um but their leaving means Jacinto will have lost his opportunity to find the gold because he keeps trying through all these different keys and he's he's not able to find it so then what he makes a decision to do is he decides to Blow up their chances to just destroy their chances to ever leaving the place until he can find this gold and along the way um, he uh, injures and and directly kills both like his lover and a few other people inside the inside the boarding school um, all culminating in sort of the doctor standing watch and saying that he's going to protect the kids uh, but then he actually passes away after um, uh, you know succumbing to the injuries that he had earlier. I'm skipping over a lot of beats in this film, but just to give some context. but just to give some context for like who, for who he is and why he's telling the story. The film is all wrapped up in there's sort of these, I'll call them all ghosts. There is one actual ghost in the film, that's Santi, but there, there are all these sort of ghosts. There's the ghosts of relationship, the ghosts of what might've been the ghosts of, uh, you know, the sort of the loss of. Uh, uh, humanity in what's happening in the war-torn Spanish countryside around them, and um, so that's that's what the film is sort of populated by, which is how I kind of contextualize his opening and closing narration when he says, "You know, well, what what is a ghost? Well, it's all right. of these different things. It's a tragedy. It's an instant of pain. It's it's something dead which seems to still be alive. Uh, you know, and all all of these kinds of things. A ghost is me." a ghost is me. Um so that's you know I did fast forward through quite a few beats and and uh it's worth mentioning because I didn't a few minutes ago that sort of the heart and soul of the film as I see it is in the sort of kinship of these boys that are all staying there. And at first Jaime is very antagonistic towards Carlos, even tricks him into kind of getting in trouble uh one evening and so he's very much a bully but but comes around to to being a real friend and being a real ally by the end of the film and is is largely uh, well, ultimately redeemed uh, from what we had a perspective on him before, and so the kinship of these boys and these boys working together to sort of overcome the obstacles that that are set in front of them, especially once Jacinto blows up their means of escape, uh, that's sort of the anchor for for the whole film as I saw it. Um, is it? Am I mean, leaving anything major out that I probably should um, mention?
1: the only uh, you may have said this I can't recall, but what you do learn, and this was accidental though he was being aggressive. You learn through oh, yes, flashback yes. that Jacinto is actually who inadvertently killed Santi. Yes, um, yes. and but that
2: is pretty s- darn important. Yes. Spoiler <laughs> alert! <laughs>
1: spoiler alert! That. Santi returns that favor. Um, oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, I do love, and this is like totally jumping to the end. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't do they do they get do they push Jacinto in one of is is not basically the inciting line of the f- finale? One of them just saying Santi's name. Like basically calling him out Yes, That's yes. great, that's a well, great moment
2: Yes, well and that's what he, because he approaches Carlos, the ghost approaches right, Carlos Right, right, right and, and says, and this was before all of that But yeah, it, 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 the ghost approaches him And says, uh, bring Jacinto To me, Right, like right, bring him right. to me Which right. I got such chills when I saw that moment Because I was like, oh crap, that is This is a freaky idea um, But then yes, they they Attack Jacinto, they kind of gang up on him They do wound him you know not not to the degree that he wouldn't be able to sort of fight back eventually, but they do wound him, and then they call for Sante, who yeah, they shove him into the pool, and then yeah Sante claims him as it were. But uh, I don't know if you have any sort of particular things that you want to point out in terms of, um, you know, scary moments or moments that you that you connected with or not. Because probably everything that I have left to say about the film is going to substantiate into specific thematic conversations. So I'm a, I'm going to defer to you. Is there anything specific before we get into that that you want to bring in?
1: Dude, those slugs are nasty.
2: Yeah, dude. You have a thing <laughs> with bugs though. Bugs <laughs> and slugs and everything.
1: Wow. Well- <laughs> There's bugs, and then there's this big old fat slimy slug. Like, I don't think of a slug that's as really a gross. bug. Like, a bug is like a, a roach or a beetle. They do. But so does Jug. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, You know, it's funny. I've been trying to ponder, and you just, you may have substantiated this a little bit, but that's why our friendship and conversations with you are so good, because... Oh, thank you. We 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 bring the puzzle pieces each other's looking for. Um, I've been thinking a lot about what I'll call Jughead. You like that? Oh, yes. Which, I do um, love that. That's a lost reference. Welcome. Everybody, it is. Um, because you know, like Del Toro is a smart director. Like it, you don't just literally drop a bomb in a movie and that doesn't go off, and it not have some sort of significance. Um, right. Like right, this absolutely. is, this can't just, well, I don't think is just some sort of incidental. It's, it's too random to be random. If that makes sense. Right. Um, right. and you just made a comment a minute ago about them all being ghosts and, or they're being ghosts everywhere or whatever. And I'm like, that, that, that's kind of it. Like wh- they are, yes, the, the bomb doesn't go off because go off the bomb blowing up conveys trajectory and movement, right, right. And mm-hmm. you know, a course of action, whether you know, um, uh, negative or not. And sure whether, sure, whether it's a commentary on, I don't know enough about my Spanish Civil War history, um, <laughs> Me either, whether man. that's a commentary on, you know, the Spanish Civil War uh, 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 directly or you know what happens in a culture that is plagued by civil war, like I don't know that that's that's a really fascinating sort of you know uh, po- possibly inroad to thematic ideas that I wasn't really planning on, but like no one <laughs> no one is living, no one is right. Life is not happening. Like people are breathing right. and walking around, but there is not growth and maturity and development taking place. Right. For, for these right, characters, right. which would imply a living, thriving scenario i don't know anyway so i I was it's funny i was actually going to ask you what your thoughts on the bomb were but i sort of just gave my own thoughts do you have any sort of other than what i just said or or would you have had or do you have other thoughts on what the bomb meant to you or how you interpreted that or had you given that much thought
2: no i had and i think i think i'm right in line with you i i would have in a singular sentence called it just the ghost of the war yeah. That it is just that 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 it is you know I like how you connected that to the insect trapped in amber that he comments out you know like the 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 presence of the bomb is really compelling to me but I think it's a metaphor that you could approach from several different angles sure, which is sure. why I think it's so compelling right um, I mean it it is it's this essentially a bomb dropping like that which by the way uh, that that was kind of a freaky shot for me like just. Um, something that is somewhat unnerving to me I don't know if we've ever talked about this but but uh, mentally I have uh, it's not a fear it's just a flash of sort of anxiety or terror as it were um, I, I do have uh, when maybe it's just a general fear of the dark I don't know maybe you could chalk it up to that but um, if I'm outside somewhere and it's nighttime and there's like an openness I do sometimes sort of have a flash of fear where I'm like ooh If something were to just come out of that blackness, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, and, and there's a shot in the film. Is this
1: like Blake Collier's fear of open, you know, terrain? Oh, that is hilarious. (laughs) Uh,
2: You know what? Maybe, maybe it is. Uh, Shout out, Blake. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but honestly, like, so the other night. Uh, I was I think I've referenced this before where I live uh, is next to a field that is uh, that has some power towers right next right in the middle of the field and bizarrely because my brain is just weird sometimes. I was walking out taking the garbage out and I can look up and I can see those towers and I had just this this freaky flash of a thought. I was like, man, if one of those power lines snapped, it would come like right down and it would just it would just be freaky. Something like coming down out of the sky at me, which I know may sound a bit bizarre, but I'm referencing that specific scene in the film where Jaime is out in this in this sort of field and looks up and out of the dark sky. He can see the planes, but then sees the bomb very tangibly come down right. right in front of him. And I was like, man, wow. this is my worst fear. Wow. like." Del Toro is just
1: like channeling an, an, a, an incredibly unique and specific paranoia that Rulakia <laughs> has. You're like, man, I may so be true. outside one day and an inert bomb is going to land right in front of me or a satellite oh my gosh. A satellite is going to fall from the sky. I will is va- this happen? I will validate your sort of intimidation factor regarding the towers outside your home. I've seen them, I've been near them, I've heard them. They thrum with They do thrum. I yes. I know with radioactive or electromagnetic energy like They I crackle think, too. I think somewhere in the relative vicinity of your domicile is a bunker un- in which a gentleman is pushing a button every 108 <laughs> minutes to keep those towers from <laughs> from pouring oh forth gosh. with arcane energy from the center of the earth.
2: Who, uh, who knew that there were so many connections to Lost in the devil's backbone, you know? Uh, <laughs> I'll get there by any means necessary. but yeah i I mean to to directly sort of close the answer to your question like that's that's kind of how i see it is if that bomb had fallen out uh and had gone off it would have made uh in this in this film it would have made ghosts of all of them but but instead it did not go off yet the place is full of ghosts. So it's so it is kind of like this uh, powerful sort of to, powerful to me sort of connecting point uh, of everything. The presence of the bomb. It's weird. It's like this herald of some of the the tragedy that's going to come. It's on the night that the bomb fell, that Santi is killed. Yeah. Um, so so it's very much sort of a. um. A herald as it were of the the things that they are about to experience and the things they're about to go through
1: Let me Um, let me ask you a direct question here So outside of the typical context of our scares and likes dislikes and whatnot What and you may feel free to say I need a minute to think about this and that's okay um read what is in your opinion? The most heinous thing Jacinto does in the movie. There are a number of them What is the worst to you
2: there? There are a number of them. I think It's the, it's the primary thing that comes to mind, um, is, is killing, killing her out on the, out on the road. I've forgotten, I've forgotten her name and I don't have it in front of me. Conchita. Conchita. Yeah, that's right. Um, killing Conchita out on the road. That's the, that's your, that's your vote. That's, that's my, that's my vote. In the moment. Once I hear yours. Yeah. In the moment, that's my vote. So, so mine builds
1: on yours. Mine would be Jacinto giving Jaime the ring that Jaime gave Conchita as, an, as yes. a, hey, guess what, buddy? I killed her. Like, yes. oh my gosh. Uh, I agree with that. That is yeah. such. Yes. If I can say it, that's a move if there ever was
2: one. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Um, so, indeed.
1: And, and for context, so Jaime, the young man who's probably 13 or so in the movie, he rightly has a crush on Conchita who's uh you know the attractive um but demure kind of what what would you call her title her role in this boarding house type of thing you Good know lord I don't know she's kind of like just like a like a maid slash assistance. yeah like a housemaid yeah, housemaid yeah. type of scenario um he has a, a a sort of boyhood crush on her gives her this little ring thing he's sort of fashioned or was like a label to a piece of material uh, but it's meant to be a token of affection because she's leaving. And so that happens about a third away into the movie or 2 third, or about halfway point Well, Jacinto meets Conchita on the road as he's returning to exact sort of his mission, kills her, and then, you know, 10 minutes later in the, in the runtime of the film, kind of, uh, what's so jerkish about it is it's really, if you recall, it's almost like a, he doesn't make a big deal about it and that's why it's such a big deal. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, by right. the, by, yes. The, yes. by the by the way, little guy, let me give this back to you cuz cuz that act signifies so much.
2: I agree. I agree. Yeah, and I think that's the most I think you're right. I think that's the most despicable sort of behavior that he exhibits. It's he, he really is uh just a just a despicable person. And I think that's one thing that that shows up in Del Toro's work a lot that you that you kind of um you are what you do, like that you, that you, um, not maybe not, maybe you are what you do is too dismissive, but basically that your actions kind of define your trajectory as a person. And, right. and, and he's, you know, he is wicked and absolutely despicable in the film, uh, all for the pursuit of this, of this, like, gold. And in terms of, to answer your question, like, why does she. You know, why does she have that, that wooden leg? I don't know why the deliberate intentional choice to give her, you know, to make her an amputee and give her that leg, but that's where the gold is. Well, yeah. Like it's yeah, all, yeah, yeah. it's all sitting in her, in her leg. But yeah, it, it's something that as I'm, as I'm kind of trying to think about how to articulate my, my specific feelings about Jacinto and what Jacinto does, uh, because I did get like that moment at the fireplace. Or at the fire when he's looking at the photograph and he's thinking about who he used to be. Sure. And and that's a that's a complex moment for me because you really feel a, a certain degree of sympathy for him. Now, granted, he hasn't done some of the more despicable things he eventually does. Right. But I don't know. For me, I felt oh, that's
1: a, that's a powerful scene. And I think I think you've you hit the nail on the head a while back referencing Del Toro's compassion. Like you've used words. I think you said villain, but bad guy. You know, you didn't say bad guy, but like. There's no question Jacinto is the quote-unquote antagonist of the film. But one, right. one, at the start of the movie, when you're just meeting these characters, unlike many quote-unquote villains, you don't know. You you don't look right. at this lineup yes. of characters and think, that guy's going to do all these things that he ends up doing. He just right. is part, no, He's just part of the tapestry of the little, little microcosmic society we've got here. Um, right. But on top of that, in terms of the compassionate storyteller we're never we 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 never go long without being reminded, like you may totally disagree with his actions, but there are some relatively he you do understand at least, sort of his motives. You know, whether whether sure, you're on yeah. board, you know, and of course, like all sort of good villains, I think he kind of starts to succumb to his own actions. You know what I mean? Like Oh, absolutely it's it's right. the, the boulder starts rolling and he kind of isn't even control of it anymore himself right Um, Right. yeah anyway well let's you know let's let's if you're good let's you want to just jump in and and sort of swim around in the little pool at the bottom with the ghost and you know just talk about the themes and the slugs and put those on ourselves uh, our soap that's going to last all year even once we get out of this (laughs) well
2: you know I am very sudsy um. (laughs) sudsy lackey sudsy lackey um, (laughs) Oh my gosh, don't call me that again. So, um but no, seriously, uh like the thing that stood out to me about the the ghosts in this film is you know, the the the, the exploration that he's trying for in the very beginning. You know, what is a ghost? I'm gonna read it again, a tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and again. Uh, an instant of pain perhaps something dead which still seems to be alive an emotion suspended in time like a blurred photograph like an insect trapped in amber and what i think about when i sort of parse out what's similar about each of those is they're all sort of a captured moment where something happened uh d- did you ever read i know you saw the film did you ever read the book room no in the book, they repeat a line a couple of times that I that I wish had made it into the film somehow, but I don't recall it making it into the film. Uh, they repeat a line where they define what a crater is, mm-hmm. um, what a, and and the way it's defined by the mom for for the young boy is a crater is a hole where something happened, hmm. and. And I just I, I thought that was that was kind of a powerful little articulation of, like, you know, that that there's a... Uh, and, again, that's Room. We're talking about Devil's sure. Backbone. But uh, I'm going to bring in sort of my thoughts and feelings about this in a second.
1: I wept like that, a baby during that movie, though.
2: Oh, during Room? Yes. It's yeah. a
1: powerful movie.
2: Anyway. Very affecting movie. Good movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, a crater is a hole where something happened. And if I can substitute... If I can steal language from the novel Room and insert it into Devil's Backbone, you know, like... Uh, a ghost is is kind of like a a fragment or a a uh, shade, if you will, of something that has happened. Uh, there there is a uh, right. um, an impression, a a leftover uh, indentation a of a residue. Residue is the word I keep scratching for. That like there's a residue of something that has taken place. Um, and you know you have the bomb to indicate the war. You have uh, you know all of the different totems throughout the throughout the place like the ring um, you have the gold itself you have her wooden leg you have all of these different sort of uh, incidental things that point to or leave residue of things that have happened and one of the things specifically that stuck out to me this time of and I'm, I'm traveling somewhere feel free to kick back or nuance this but this, this notion of in this film the ghosts all kind of uh, I keep trying to find better words to use it but I'll just use it they bear witness they sure. bear witness to what has taken place like this the 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 final image of the film is the doctor well the doctor's ghost watching the boys as they all escape this place of of death and this place that has nothing for them and they wander off down the road I don't know if they're going to be okay or not because it's a long walk and some of them are hobbled and they have right. no food so I don't know if they're going to make it or not But he's watching them sort of leave this place um, to try to go off and find help to find something, you know, and as I was thinking about that final shot and thinking about like, wow, the ghosts in this film sort of uh, carry and bear witness to what has taken place, most especially with with Santi, who won't, you know, and you kind of think about it. uh, We talked about it a little bit uh, last week with the orphanage, but in many narrative ghost stories. That's kind of what the ghost is. The ghost is like a a uh, an impression left of some thing, some mystery right. that uh, some travesty that has not been reconciled or resolved, and so there's this, so it leaves this uh, sort of uh, mist, as it will, that that reminds everyone this is a thing that has happened here. And uh, so I really just got to thinking in this film about pain as witness and. Ghost as witness and uh, the past as witness and that's that's just kind of what uh, sort of kept a drum that kept beating as I was watching this film is these these fragmentary residues as it were bearing witness to the tragedies or the atrocities that have taken place uh, before because in the film the literal connection to the title is uh this sort of child who is born um uh, deformed born you know prematurely uh and they have a kind of a spinal deformity it's right. like a like a spinal separation and that is you know sort of colloquially known as the devil's backbone and what he says is you know the devil's backbone is supposed to represent a child who should never have been born um and and it was something that i don't know it it just it all connected for me this idea of there are Things that have happened in the world, things that have happened to these individuals that are painful and that are tragic, and there's a lot of loss, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of suffering, and basically... They create ghosts which bear witness to that pain and bear witness to that suffering and uh, that's what just sort of stuck out to me is that there's not it's not just that these atrocities take place and then they're done that something is left behind even if it's only the shell of a bomb or uh, or the memory of a spirit hovering over the water you know what I mean sure Um, so you know I know those are kind of big heady ideas but that's kind of the that's kind of what I was scratching at when I walked out of when I walked out of this film. Uh, do any
1: particular
0: yeah, um, thoughts? Yeah, on that? I mean,
1: yeah, I'm thinking like I, I don't. That is a very cerebral take um, in a positive way, um, and I think is probably reasonably in line. I mean, the, it's it's so intentional that you use the word poetic language that opens and closes the film, um, mm. and what's fascinating is like I I had some relatively similar. Uh, a nexus point thematic thoughts that sort of diverge from yours, but kind of similar starting places. One, we can come back to this if you want, but a, a line that just really stuck out to me. I think it's when the doctor is in the town. I can't remember exactly what's going on on screen, but adults are talking and one of them says, Europe is sick with fear and fear sickens the soul. And I just thought that was a really powerful line. Um, but I was really giving a lot of ponderance to the title. And I would wonder if you would think this is mild, op- mildly open to interpretation. Like maybe it's, it's, it's possible. I missed something, but my read on the, the title, yes, there is a literal moment where he's identifying this sort of, I don't know. Is that a, a fetus? You know that that has this ex- yeah, yeah. this exposed sort of spinal malady. Of course, is dead. But the way I read the moment was yes. Okay, clearly that's a backbone. That's a but he is developing these weird like tonics. Right. There's like
2: yes, yes, and, Elixirs, and
1: yeah, right. and and so my read in the moment was the devil's backbone was the 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 literal tonic or elixir that he's creating mm, mm, and and mm. so and so that's kind of where i ran in terms of the the title and trying to suss out what i thought was going on and and what i wrote down is the devil's backbone if if this interpretation is you know legitimate it's it's a fake tonic to heal wounds right or, or mm, you know mm-hmm. i mean like it, it is not real he says it like this it, peop- it would do nothing right yeah. right probably do harm yeah right and one of the most literal transl- literal sort of analogs to that idea to me in this story is the gold like this mm. thing that kills everyone <laughs> the pursuit of yes. which in yes. that ta- in that little society kills all the adults ultimately and some of the children is the pursuit of this gold which which to Jacinto at that point it's purely the, the white whale right I mean like oh, to, yeah. to acquire yeah. this is also, it's not going to do him any good and I had this weird so so a lot of things are happening here um, you referenced the viability of those kids as they get out I would wager and, and I don't think this is purely my sort of generally hopeful sort of attitude at work here. I actually think the movie is probably suggesting they will find, you know, a, a positive end because mm.
2: yeah, that they'll make it.
1: Yeah. You know, if you take it, uh, I'm going to run with this for a minute and feel free to jump in as you as you feel the spirit move. Um, you know, one of mm-hmm. one of those poetic lines is a thing doomed to happen over and over. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but that's the idea. Yes. Like, yes, there yes. is a closed circuit in that little town. Yes. Even things like Reed, This just came to me as we were talking. Jacinto leaves, mm-hmm. but he doesn't stay gone. Right. He comes back. Conchita yes. tries right. to leave. But she can't yep. get away. Like she can't like get away. They right. are right. If you if you almost envision to the point that one of those scenes, the scene that takes place when the doctor sees um, Ayala getting shot in the in the in the right. you know the right. line the lineup or whatever. Like that, the, I think one of the reasons that scene feels so dissonant is this exact reason. You think of those wide shots of that little little boarding place, and it feels like the island and Lost. I'm really not intending to continue to write Lost references, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, these people can't get out of the cycle they're in. And I'm going to make what may feel like an odd sort of call out here. So we are recording the day of the nationwide teenage led school walkout. Mm, Yes. right, Right. And, and, you know, anyone who's listened to this long enough or follows me on any social media will will know some of my feelings about this stuff. But I'm less interested in the moment and that specific conversation. Like, well, should or should not these be doing it? I'm interested in how these things compare and correlate. Like, the 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 movie is 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 sort of about the doomed cycle adults perpetrate on each other, right? Right, and how it overlooks, perhaps oppresses, perhaps kills children in their care. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And dude, what happens at the end of the movie? Those kids find their agency. Yes.
2: Yes, they do. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Very deliberately. And in doing so, sort of break the system.
2: Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. I
1: don't know. That's just really kind of... And
2: break free from the system. Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 Totally. Yes. And that's sort of what I meant there. But yes, thank you for the clarifying language. Like they... And, and and I I don't know, I, I think in, in one sense the movie is really challenging from that standpoint, as Good Story does, is kind of finds you where you're at and, and, you know what I mean, kind of addresses some of the things you're already thinking and feeling and observing in the real world. But, like. Sure, sure. We are. Dude, Reed, I can't tell you how many times, and this is going to seem, it won't be seem like an odd call out, but I'm going to try to correlate it back in. Do you remember, I don't know if you've listened to it again at all, but our conversation with the body blood fellas during it. Yes. And this, this thematic notion that presented itself in our conversation of how in the real world and it presents itself in the story of it, we basically charge our children with saving us.
2: And I can't tell
1: you how much I've thought about that lately, that specific Mm, talking point in the culture we're observing around us right now. And yes, and you look and and you take what happens in it and that idea and now look at the devil's backbone and it's like, I mean the doctor who is who is sort of like the the quote unquote good guy the the sort of hero even he is selling snake oil
2: yes yes you know what I mean like
1: yeah the the willful the, complicity right the woman. You could you could make a case that Guillermo del is a compassionate person towards broken individuals. You could also make a case she's fake. Like she is, mm. she's she's putting on for the doctor and to, you know sort of leading him on romantically, right. whether right or not, while sleeping with Jacinto. And right. this is represented right. in a very illustrative fashion, but a literal fashion with having an amputated leg. Like you know what I mean. Mm. All of the adults yes. who theoretically are in meant to care for these kids are just not. And yeah, right. And and you could say the ghost of this sort of story is the breaking that cycle so that these kids don't have to be ghosts and can be right. yes. living, breathing, thriving humans in mm-hmm. a, in a world that cares about them and for them. I don't know, I'm just sort of spinning off at this point, but
2: No, no, I mean it's it, it's kind of what the film invites because the film the the film on one level is is rather complex and it's it's multi-layered at the on one level it is sort of a direct and simple story right but then there there are a lot of different dots that you can connect in terms of what does this mean and what is what is del toro trying to say and what's he sort of trying to scratch at now I do know sort of uh, meta knowledge he has said for a number of years now, I mean, this is 2001, Pan's Labyrinth was 2006, here we sit in 2018, and he still hasn't made it. But uh, he has said in interviews before that Devil's Backbone was supposed to be the first of a thematic trilogy about children in the end of the world. And and that, and and that end of the world scenario, of right, course, right. being met rather metaphorical. But he, but Devil's Backbone is the first of that. Uh, the Pan's Labyrinth is the second example of that and then the third which he's talked about for years now but and is still on his imdb pages in development no (laughs) um is uh is a is a film called saturn saturn and the end of days and um and i don't know what the narrative is i don't know what the story is basically at this point i hear guillermo del toro is directing it and i will try to see it um but honestly like it, it is sort of this idea of of yes, children facing down the end of the world and some of them make it and some of them don't, uh, you know, Santi in this one, certainly, you know, he, he is left to sort of that, that image of him. uh, Maybe there is some quite literal Christ, uh, allegory going on. Although I would, I don't have the sort of the space right now to, to be able to articulate it. But, um, you know, like we see him, the final time we see the ghost is he's hovering over the water. He's standing over the water uh, that, that he was cast into and in which he died. Um, and uh, so that just all that idea of him walking on water, but he is forever resigned to just sort of stay and bear witness to, to what has taken place here. The, the rest of the children are not purposefully by the actions of Santi, a ghost, and the doctor also a ghost the boys break free because the doctor i don't know if you recall i'm sure you do um the doctor is the figure that comes in and sort of releases the boys from that locked room that they were that they were trapped in and so he comes and sets them free so uh in a sense like this is sort of trying to mirror a little clumsily but trying to mirror what i'm saying and what you're saying and, and marry the two together the the ghosts the fragments the residue uh that bear witness to the tragedies and atrocities that have taken place can point to and in some ways you know point away from so that the living can escape that cycle and so that the living can break free of that and they're not resigned to be ghosts themselves and they're not resigned to sort of stay in that way um in that sense uh the 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 devil's backbone tonic that the doctor is making—that uh, it actually works—but this is a bit horrific as it's spurting forth in my brain. But as with that very little tonic, it requires uh, a death, sure, as it were, sure. in order to produce that tonic. So something, so, uh, something that is dead, uh, produces something that can—I'll uh, make this statement—and please, just listeners and my good friend Nathan, forgive the clumsy bumper sticker way that this is something through death presents and gives uh, the possibility of life to what comes after it. We're Christians. That's a staple Element of our theology is that uh, something died to give us life that there was something that 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 actually so again just forgive the clumsy bumper sticker that that is but um, that there is something that w- that was willing to sort of go into the depths of death and hell itself in order to to provide a path to life outside and uh, I Guillermo del Toro is not a Christian although. He was raised Catholic, so there's a lot of sure. there's a lot of imagery.
1: Well, see, what's funny is like, uh, and and I think I think both of these things can coexist, and this is probably why this is a better film than my initial sort of hot take, um, which wasn't to suggest it was bad, but just you know. Um, sure. See, like I I would, I'm not going to stand here and say or sit here as I'm doing and say, well, I don't think you're right there, Reed. That's not what I would do or say because I think, like I said, both of these can coexist. But as I sort of assess that title, I mean, that is such a specific articulated title, right that right. that I'm just trying to wrestle down like, okay, gosh, what is this about? And I would sort of say, like you you took the tack of, okay, this fetal sort of, um, you know, element. Uh, had to had to suffer a, a passing in order to effect a certain change in the people that it touched. Whereas I would say, you know, I, I mean, the devil's backbone. If if whether it's literally him referring to the spine of that fetus or the tonic produced, it's a lie. It is false, right? And it right, is right. unreal. And that is what perhaps I think the film is indicting, which is.
0: Mm, the yeah. thing mm-hmm. the
1: thing we use to prop up our antagonism and our war and our aggression and our hostilities is all built on the quote-unquote devil's backbone of lies you know what i mean like i don't know that's that's sort yeah, of I,
2: no i don't disagree yeah. i don't disagree at all um because because it really it really is like those tonics and, and elixirs um it is um uh, It is a falsehood it is an illusion it is to put it the way you put it so bluntly and appropriately it's a lie it's it is fakery and um yeah i i definitely feel like that's that is something the film is indicting um and i would i would say and i think i articulated this differently a few moments ago i'll find out when i listen back to it (laughs) um the but but um I would even, as you said back to me, like, not necessarily that something had to die, but something that did die provides a path to, to not even, not even necessarily that I would, you know, like I sort of froze up a bit at, at the language of like a, you know, this thing had to die so that this other thing could take place. And I'm like, well, I don't, I think that's the tragedy of the film is that they didn't have to, sure, sure, but, but they did. And in doing so bear witness that it doesn't have to be that way right. and, and, and sort of bear witness to something like, like, the bomb in the middle of the courtyard that did not explode right that you know like like the bomb sitting in the middle of everything uh that did not cause mass destruction like it does it does not have to be what we so frequently make it or right what these people so frequently make it it does not have to go that path and uh and so yeah that's that's something that i really think you know, we have, you know, a given hour to an hour and a half to have these conversations. We do our own <laughs> our own train of thinking uh, before and after we have them. But, you know, it, it's like I may get two weeks from now and think, oh, crap, I should have said this about Devil's Backbone. And I should have said this um, because I do you think come back. Rich we're going to have more episodes. We'll go, we'll come back. We're going to talk about it. We're we're right gonna, we got hashtag black del
1: Toro Toro to- Toro. To- to-
2: yeah, it's all be month. Like- it's all month. <laughs> So, but, but no, I mean, like, I, again, I something that I, all of these things that I'm saying, I think we have not, to my estimation, hopefully this is true for the listeners as well, to my estimation, we haven't said a thing yet in this episode that I haven't gone like, yeah, that's true, that's there in the film, that's something right, that's, that's right. present and can be extrapolated from what Del Toro is sort of scratching at, which is why. I do think uh, that the film is a pretty a pretty impressive achievement that so much can be done with so little. Um, And uh, and he has articulated before, although I have yet to really dive deep into this, that he's articulated that what we see when we see one of his films is is almost the literal tip of an iceberg. And that substantiating everything that winds up on the finished edited film is is. Substantiated by a mountain beneath the surface right. of research and consideration and allegory and things that dots that he's connected color palettes that he's decided to use things that he's decided to try to draw from to produce an image or a moment. And um, and that's what I think makes him such a compelling filmmaker is you can feel the weight. Of the research that he's done, he's a very intentional filmmaker, sure. um, and uh, and this film especially, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll go ahead and bring in. I actually have uh, two passages of scripture to to bring in and and uh, kind of kind of connect to, kind of connect to what we're saying. One is a very cautionary one, and is a rather bleak uh, passage of scripture, and then I'll end with the the more hopeful one. One of the things that I thought of uh, in sort of identifying what's taking place on the negative end in this film is Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 27, uh, which is speaking about uh, wicked people in leadership. And it says her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain, which obviously has some connection for me to what Jacinto is doing in the film and kind of what he's trying to uh, accomplish there. But Then, I don't know why this one stood out to me so much, maybe just because of how much I was thinking about ghosts and specters and and shadows as bearing witness, but I thought about 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, verses 1 through 3, I'll read it very quickly it says, um, you then my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others, and join with me in their suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, and that is obviously because it's that particular passage of the scripture is very deliberate to sort of presenting an apostle as it were but i I think about this idea of like there there are many there are many sort of things that we can bear witness to that have taken place before so i'm going to scratch at your idea for a second that the things that are being led by sort of the youth of the americas i'll say this about the youth of the world Recently, I saw uh, this is going to be very self-aggrandizing for a moment, so please forgive me. I'll only take a minute and a half. Um, I recently saw a trend on Facebook regarding sort of the behavior of these youths and sort of the protests and sort of the things that they were speaking up against. And I saw a meme that makes me vomit in my mouth. And uh, listener, if you are hearing this, we love you. Regardless, if you have shared this meme, take it down because it's an abomination. That they would share a meme that's like, hey, what are the what do the young people have to say about this? Uh, you know, last week they were eating Tide Pods and they were, you know, doing all this weird right, bathrooms right. and blah, blah, blah. Um, I saw that meme a frightening amount of time sure, on sure. social media feed. Um, so, again, listener, take that meme down if you shared it because it's tragic. It's a travesty. And I sort of formulated some thoughts Um, In response to that specific thing where I basically articulated and I wrote a blog about it and everything and then I'll just share the thoughts in summary here connecting it back to devil's backbone is I refuse as an individual to denigrate or to shame What the youth are trying to scratch towards and what the youth are trying to move towards, because if I shame them, if I degrade them, I degrade myself. I basically uh, am they they've witnessed the generation that came before and they witnessed sort of the, the ghosts of what we've left in our wake. And if they want a different life, if they want a better life. We are only fabricating and reproducing ghosts to refuse them that possibility of stepping into a better life, into a better world that they see ahead of them. And so to denigrate them because you disagree with their posture or to denigrate them uh, because you disagree with the specific sort of stance that they're taking, I think, is foolhardy because all we would be doing would be sliding deeper into to death. We would be sliding deeper into, uh, I'll just say it, connecting to devil's backbone, ghosthood. Sure. We would be sliding deeper into sort of this... Uh, um, this phantom mist, as it were, the the more we try to fight against what the the youth and the future generation are passionate about and scratching towards and moving forward, like the children who eventually break free from from this boarding right. school and wander right. off down the road. Um, you know, that is that is it is that we are, you know, the doctor standing standing there. And I would hope I would hope to God that when I see. Someone leaving behind the ghosts and leaving behind the shades and the specters uh, that I would not uh, reject what they were scratching towards, that that I would not refute them or denigrate them by saying that it was foolish or foolhardy or they didn't know what they were doing. Rather, let me encourage their step forward into life and step forward into a better world and step forward into a hopeful future. Let me instead encourage them to continue to strive to do things better and to do things right um, well, and, and, and to to escape. Yeah, I don't know. if I, Can I jump in? Um, yeah, I'm done. I mean, and, and to draw
1: a real direct line to what you're, I think, describing here, like, you, you are using the language of the movie on I think a metaphorical level and perhaps a literal one I'll, I'll go the literal like we are like Jacinto Tasanti the adults of a society creating dead kids you know and and yes and and I I, I, I am with you like if 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 our if our sole argument against the agency on display, which in my humble opinion is not just challenging, but stinking inspiring, perhaps one of the most inspiring things I've seen in my lifetime on a, on a, you know, mass scale like that. Um, if, if, if our impulse is to say, but look at what these dumb kids were doing just last week. If that's our response. Oh my gosh. You know, heaven for yeah, heaven Brian. forbid. Last week, you find out the stupid stuff I did. You know what I mean? Like the notion right. that, no, of course, yes. I, you can't be taken seriously because someone in your demographic did a dumb thing. Like, oh my goodness. Yes,
2: right. It precludes the idea that nobody can change and that nobody can grow. Um, not to mention the fact that these were not the same. Right. People, right. Or yeah. Or that
1: that's the sum. Right the sum assessment of an entire people group.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Exactly. No, exactly. Um, but I think that's the, you know, and, and maybe, maybe as a why as a way to sort of, uh, you know, pivot us into David S pumpkins and wind the conversation down. Just that, that, uh, like, yeah, we can, we can either be living with the ghosts and recreating ghosts ourselves, or we can, you know step away and step out and step forward into the sunlight right and and leave behind the insects trapped in amber, leave behind the blurred photographs and the the uh the thing that seems doomed to repeat itself over again or I love this a thing which is dead which seems to be alive right like I like I loved that language you know it it it, it appears to be living, but it is dead um and and leave it behind less you
1: know? lest all we be left with to be able to say brother lackey." But the ghost is me.
2: That's right. Yes. Yes. You know what? I'm just going to leave it there. That was great. Thank you. Uh, that was great We just leave it there Because the, like the ghost is me
1: Well in the spirit of that Let's bring our, <laughs> our ghastly friend David S. Pumpkins to the table
2: As we do on uh, every episode We uh, measure these films By a metric of David S. Pumpkins uh, We uh, look at our good friend uh, Uncle, Uncle Davey And uh, we measure in the realm of style Scares and substance Which we then aggregate together um, So for style I'll lead the charge here for style for for devil's backbone uh Guillermo del Toro directed I will I will give it a 4 for style. Um I really like it. I really like it a lot. Um I think it it lacks some of the flourish of some of his later works, but it's a it it's a really strong entry. It's I I like it. All right. Um for myself for style, I'm going to land at um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land at a three. All right. I kind of thought that's where you'd land. I think that's appropriate for your comments that you made. Uh, now, where would you put it for scares? Um, I Actually, like, I think there is a darkness to it that is
1: undeniable. In terms of pure kind of scariness, I didn't find it like, you know, I didn't... I did jump at the moment when Santi's eye shows up in the keyhole. Um, I'm going to, you know... Sure. I'll... I'll um, I'm going to give it a three.
2: Okay. Uh, that's actually, I mean, yeah, that's that's actually where I would put it. I think that it is a compelling film. Um, I, I think it's very stylish, but I don't necessarily think it's going to give anybody any nightmares. So, yeah, I'm going to land at a three. Well, and I think, I think um, to
1: double back on myself here, I think the scares are more intrinsic to the, oh, my God, what we do to ourselves kind of scares. You know what I mean?
2: Sure. Like, right. Right. Exactly. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, So for substance, uh, man, I'm so tempted. I'm just going to go with my gut in the moment like I should. Uh, I'm going to land at a four for substance. I was tempted to give it a five because we've already unpacked how sort of the metaphors within the film could be leveraged a couple of different ways. Um, So but but I do think four sort of feels more right. So I'm just going to go with that. I think I'm going to land on a four for substance, a very substantial film um, that. uh, But yeah. Leave it there. Um, Well, uh, I was
1: going to try to make the one who sighs comment there, and I just couldn't make it work. I'm going to follow you, and and, uh, I'm going to land at a four on substance. And truthfully, before our conversation, I might have landed a little lower, but um, I think one of the the and I and I say this truthfully, like I am hopeful that our conversations will yield good fruit uh, as we assess Del Toro's work because. Like, I, I, I would not walk away from Devil's Backbone, even after our conversation, and say, like, no, I, I want to go watch that again, or I'm going to introduce sure, so-and-so to that movie, but I do think, were the moment to come where I happen to be able to watch it again, or the context present itself, I'll get a lot more out of it based on this conversation. So I'm, I'm going to land at a four for substance.
2: All right. All right.
1: Which, all that said, lands us at a perfect seven. You like that? The number seven, oh, seven, like number it. of perfection, I do right? Like it um, it, is, it so, is pretty perfect. So we we um, we took a mild dip on Del Toro 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 from a, a nine on the orphanage to a seven for Devil's Backbone, but that's okay. I, I get the impression all of these are going to be in that upper tier anyway. Um, seven, <laughs> you know, seven for Devil's Backbone feels about right for our general sensibilities. Um, yeah, I think so. And I mean, dude is. Have we decided? Are we doing Pan's Labyrinth next week, or are we doing
2: Hellboy? T- or Hellboy. Uh, I don't know, guys. Don't know. Stay tuned. So it's <laughs> oh, yeah. it's it's, it's either, one of those two. It, it, one of those two. It's either going to be just just brush up on your on your Del Toro catalog. It's either going to be Hellboy or Pan's Labyrinth. We'll let you know on social media. We'll, so um, we'll rock, so yeah, rock paper everybody, scissors for it. Yeah, we'll rock paper scissors it, or you know. Uh, pan labyrinth hellboy it but um so everybody uh, the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but it's not the end of the conversation stay tuned to hear how you can get in touch with us and keep the conversation going uh nathan thank you so much for having this conversation with me i'm very excited to be breaking into this series um and uh yeah uh, we'll see you next week everybody yeah guys make sure your soap lasts you the year we'll see you next week <laughs> bye The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at TheNathanRouse. Visit morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, podcast at gmail.com and last but not least if you listen to us through itunes we would greatly appreciate a rating or review thank you for listening we'll see you next week
0: hi everybody